Good evening, everyone. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the novel Atomic Anna, and you are tuned in to Check This Out. We are coming to you from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire, and we are brought to you today by the Howe Library Corporation and the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation. Thanks so much to both of them for making this show possible. At Check This Out, we're here to bring you new and diverse authors, voices and books that we think you should be listening and talking about. You should be listening to, reading and talking about. If you love these books as much as we do, and I know you will, go to your library and check them out or go to your local bookstore and buy a copy. Today, I am so, so excited to introduce you to Claire Jimenez, whose amazing debut, I'm showing you the uh, book right now, this amazing cover, What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez, dropped just a few weeks ago. It has hit the market by huge storms. People are dying to read it, dying to have her on the show, and we are so lucky to have her here today. Claire, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I just I read this book actually a couple of months ago. I got an early copy and um, I opened it and I just couldn't put it down. It, that doesn't happen very often, right? I just couldn't stop reading. It was just it grabbed me from the very first page. So congratulations. I really love it. To people who are not familiar with you, I'm going to read your bio and then we're going to dive into the interview. Okay. All right. Claire Jimenez is a Puerto Rican writer who grew up in Brooklyn and Staten Island, New York. She is the author of the short story collection, Staten Island Stories, which received the 2019 Hornblower Award for first book from the New York Society Library, was named a finalist for the International Latino Book Awards, a New York Public Library favorite book about New York, and Best Latino Book of 2019 by NBC News. Whew, that's amazing. She received her MFA from Vanderbilt University and is currently pursuing a PhD at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Her fiction, essays, and reviews have appeared in Remsa, Afro-Hispanic Review, Pank, The Rumpus, El Roommate, Eater, District, Lit, The Toast, and the LA Review of Books, among other publications. What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez is her debut novel. Claire, whew, that was amazing. You are so impressive. Tell me, what is this amazing book about? Well, it's about a 13-year-old girl who goes missing in Staten Island in 1996. And her sisters are watching a reality TV show 12 years later. And they, they see this woman on TV who looks remarkably similar to Ruthie. And so they set out with um, their mother eventually to see if this is actually their, their sister. It's a beautiful summary. And what I love about your summary and the book is right from the beginning. We don't know what happened to Ruthie Ramirez. Is she alive? Mm -hmm. Right. Or is she dead? Did yeah. she run away? Was she taken? Um, and that's really why, you know, why I kept reading. But at the heart of this is really violence against women. It's a very serious subject. The book very beautifully lays out the layers of complexity around this violence. It shows that it's not simple. It's never just, you know, a quick slap or something that happens out of the blue. It is something mm -hmm. that comes from something much deeper. And you address that just beautifully and carefully. And I was wondering, as you sat down to prepare for these interviews, right, and, and sat down to talk about your book, how do you want the conversation around violence against women to unfold in relation to your book? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I hope that it increases the awareness about how women are portrayed in media, especially black and brown women who are missing. And, you know, it raises 
awareness about how there's a disparity between uh, the representations of black and brown women and uh, white missing women and teaches us to, you know, really pay attention to those stories, that those stories are just as valuable and that we should take seriously their disappearances as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. And um, you actually wrote some of that into the book. I felt like I, I fed you that answer. <laughs> We're like on the same wavelength or something, um, because one of the ways um, that you show all the different sides to this and the different levels are you have each voice has a chapter. So you have several characters who you know speak to us throughout the book. And Ruthie has her own chapters. And you start with her in chapter four, about 50 pages in. Um, and her chapter starts, you write, um, first of all, if you really want to know what happened to Ruthie Ramirez, then you got to understand what happened that day at school. But maybe people don't really want to know about what happened that day. And maybe they don't really care about what happened to Ruthie either, because most adults already have their own ideas about the type of girl Ruthie is. That is because everybody's always running their mouths about her and people like that. They're more interested in the type of little girl who one day rides her bike down her suburban block and disappears only to show up later portrayed by some B actress on unsolved mysteries. Yeah. And yeah. there you go. Can you talk about that opening? That's how you introduce us to Ruthie. Thank you. Yeah. I, I wanted to really include her voice inside of this book because I wanted her presence to hang over over the family in the same way that her absence does. And so that we, the, the, you know, the reader gets to see what is this day in the life of this 13 year old girl, right. In the nineties. And so I, I really wanted to just capture that 13 year old voice. That's sort of like the rage, but also the tenderness, right. Uh, what is it like to be 13 and for your best friend to stop talking to you and how that can feel so, you know, earth shattering. Yeah. But also I loved it because you turned the conversation around. It wasn't, you know, this is what happens to women who are abused. It was, she was saying, ask me. Yeah. Don't tell yeah. me, ask me. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It, yeah. So how did you think about giving her a voice in this story? I thought to myself that, you know, so when, when, for those folks who haven't read the book yet, it starts off, her section starts off with Ruthie really changing perspectives, right? She's trying to figure out how to tell the story, right? Sometimes it's first person, sometimes it's second person, sometimes it's third person, right? And you can see her sort of practicing out how that narration will sit. But inside of that, we also see that, you know, all of the sort of like her really thinking critically about what does it mean to use the second person? Right. She says, let's let's, you know, maybe tell the story this way. You're 13 years old. You're a Puerto Rican girl. You live, you know, you live in West Brighton. Right. And then later on, she's like, well, maybe you're not 13 years old. Maybe you're not a Puerto Rican girl. Right. And so you see that, you know, her really struggling to tell that story. And so when I was thinking about her voice, I really thought that there would be this sort of tension. Right. Um, and that there would be this also like this this rage. Right. But also this defensiveness, but also this like hope that rings throughout. And I, I knew that those were the elements I really wanted to have. Yeah. You you know, you mentioned hope and a lot of times you have scenes in which something happens. There's violence against a woman. Let's say, you know, someone she's pulled into a bedroom. A little kid is pulled into a bedroom that she doesn't want to be in um, and she comes out. And she has this moment where she says, do I tell people? 
can I go ahead and, you know, pretend this didn't happen? Can I just mm-hmm. pretend that nothing happened and can my life continue, right? Burying that, hiding it. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like that was something that each of the voices tried to do and experience in their lives. How did you dig into that need to sort of, or that question, that moment of, do I hide what just happened? I, I thought to myself, I think voice, and I, I say this, uh, I say this a lot, but I, I say it a lot because I think it's so important and it's so a part of the way in which I crafted this book. I think voice is just as, as much about silence as it is about what we say, right? And so in thinking about these women and their silences, what do they say instead, right? Um, when they don't have, maybe it's not even not having the language, but feeling too afraid to talk about the things that are in their life or, you know, but the, it's, it's this idea that even that sometimes, you know, we use humor to deflect from the issues that are really at play at the core. Um, and so I, I really think about that in terms of these women's uh, secrets or silences. I and mean, I thought about that in terms of crafting each point of view. Yeah, I loved that. And then you also have the element of the reality TV show, which is a grotesque show called Catfight, which sort of mirrors in many ways what's happening in the real world. And yet mm-hmm. there's a lens in front of it because everyone can say, oh, it's just TV. But That's in fact, right, is, yeah. is it so different? Can you I would love to hear you. Like, how did you think about Catfight and how did you come up with that? Yeah, I was thinking, so Catfight is sort of this weird combination of all of the messed up reality TV I watched in my 20s. And I was like, you know, it's a little bit of Bad Girls Club, a little bit of Survivor, you know, like, and I wanted to add all of those elements together to create this show that really you know, brought up issues of representation, brought up issues of stereotypes, brought up issues of, you know, the ways in which black and brown women's bodies are often used as sites of violence for entertainment. And I thought that that echoed well with the idea of the representations of missing black and brown women in in pop culture. Right. And I, so I used it sort of to play around with that and that tension of that question, is this really Ruthie, right? Mm -hmm. Is this a real representation of these women? Right. Is this really Ruthie? And, and, you know, so letting that, that, those two questions sort of tangle with each other. Yeah. And also you have literally a gaze into violence unfolding in order to gain viewers. Yeah. Right. They're not stopping in, stepping in to stop the fights. Yeah. 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 And that's it. I mean, it's so interesting. Like I would I think, too, about like old Bad Girls Club episodes where you would see the producers come out. Right. And they would like chide the woman for, you know, getting into fights like you cannot do this anymore. We're going to have to send you home. But it's like you created this space. Right. And, you know, there's this moment inside the novel where Nina's like, who has choreographed this violence and why can I not stop watching? And I, I think about those producers, right. Who, who are like, you know, these women acting this way, but it's like, you set this up. But I felt like that this is where you really got into sort of, this book was a masterclass on craft because it was showing coming from a writer. Like like, (laughs) that's really, that's very sweet. Thank you so much. But thank you. But I really mean it because right. You have this, this gaze into um, people are asking, is it real? What's on the screen? Should I believe it? And at the same time, they're saying, is what's happening to me real? Yeah. Should I believe it? Yeah. 
you had that mirror and, and I just thought that was brilliant. So was that hard to do? How did you, how did you um, it was that? hard to put all the sections together. The, I think the, the, the hard part was crafting all of those point of views together, right? Mm-hmm. It was getting them to match, not match, match is the wrong word here, but thinking about how they built upon each other, right? What was, uh, what does each character know that the other the other character doesn't know? Right. And how do I stack those sections up upon each other? I think that was definitely the, the structure and the organization shifted many times, many times. Yeah. But also, I mean, even the way you slip into the you right into second person, the voice changes. And then it felt like I was reading a confessional on a reality TV show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love that you caught that. Yeah, that was definitely my intention. Yeah. I wanted it to feel like, especially like, so you even see this with the mother, right? She has this moment, you know, where she's she, not this moment that throughout the whole book, she's talking to God, right? There's this conversation, but which is also like a confessional, right? And then you have Nina's moments where she's thinking about school and Jess's moments about thinking about as a teenager, right? And I thought to myself, you know, the same way that in reality shows, you go into a booth and you talk to the producers. I was like, these sections can act in this way, but I didn't want it to be too heavy handed, but I want it to be just enough so that, you know, maybe subconsciously the reader would feel that. No, it was perfectly done. Truly. Like I am not exaggerating when I thought they would say that I thought it was like a masterclass on craft and, you know, following the, what I'm reading, right. It was in there. It was clear and not too heavily handed. And then another thing that I loved uh, was there's this, uh, I'm not going to give anything away, no spoilers. Okay. But there is a um, scene for cat fight that happens on a stage and um, you write, Smiling, the girls on stage ripped off their glow-in-the-dark shirts to reveal bedazzled bras. A thin film of glitter sparkled all over their bare skin, and they looked like a strange combination of both slut and fairy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Right? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that was such a fun scene to write. Oh, my God. I had so much fun with the uh, reality TV shows, and I think what was great about... That was it gave relief when there were so many difficult, you know, moments or topics or heavy issues throughout the book. It was it was great to have fun in those sections. I really enjoyed writing the club scene. Yeah, yeah, it was a very I mean, it was fun, but also I was I was so sad. It was really sad. And um, this juxtaposition is a woman, a slut or a fairy. Mm -hmm. Right. What is she? Yeah. Yes. And how did you think about that? that. That's so great. (laughs) It's so great, you know, because you know how it is as a writer, you sit alone for years, (laughs) you know, you work on something and you're just like you spend sometimes hours on a sentence and you, you know, like sometimes it hits and somebody gets it. But a lot of times it just goes. So it's so great to hear that you, you know, that it resonated with you in the same way that I had intended it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just really I'm so glad that I got it right. And I'm not just making it up, Um, but I wanted to um, come back to the family itself. So you mentioned briefly there are um, right several sisters. So there are two sisters and a mother um, who are left behind when Ruthie disappears. The father dies soon thereafter. And really, the book uh, focuses a lot on that, those family relationships and the roles in the family. I would love to hear you talk to us and tell us a little bit about how you thought about that family and the relationships. Yeah. So I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to make a book that was centered on women, 
and I, I wanted it to be this chorus of voices and I wanted it to be women who, you know, fought with each other, but also fiercely loved each other. Right. And, it, and that felt true and familiar in my own experiences. So I wanted to, you know, make sure that that came through. I think sometimes it's interesting because the, the responses to the book are a little weird sometimes, but sometimes it'll be like, this family's dysfunctional. And I'm like, well, I don't necessarily think of them as dysfunctional. I think of them as, you know, a family that has gone through stuff, right? And when you go through stuff, it affects you. It affects the ways in which you talk to each other. Right. But that doesn't mean that they don't love each other. That doesn't mean that, you know, they don't uh, that they won't do anything for each other. Yeah. They rearrange their lives around each other. That's right. Yeah. Right? Even yeah. though they have secrets. But I think that's true to life. Every family yes. has secrets. You don't know everything that happens. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So also I wanted to talk about Nina. So she has this amazing college education. She's super smart, but she doesn't get into medical school. Um, Yeah. 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 And um, again, true to life and showing us the side. There's this one passage where you talk about how she feels about sort of her role in the world. She is hired because they assume she speaks Spanish because of her name. Uh That's right. right. And so you have this sort of confessional moment where she says, yes, my mom speaks Spanish fluently. My dad did, too, but he couldn't read it. My mother was 17 when she started having kids. Sorry, they were so busy working hard. They hadn't had any time to consider the logistics of language acquisition. In fact, my mother, my mother did not have the words language acquisition inside of her vocabulary. My parents had no idea that language could disappear. No, I did not want to be assimilated. Yeah, yeah. It's so you talk about Ruthie not, I mean, sorry, Nina not speaking Spanish. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that because I actually uh, just met a uh, with a book club last night of these phenomenal Puerto Rican women and readers. Um, it was uh, moderated by this lovely Puerto Rican critic and, you know, book advocate Sharon Velez. And we talked a lot about that section, right? Because it's it's interesting that I think... That, uh, you know, often from outsider perspectives, they're like, oh, you you know, you're Puerto Rican, you should speak Spanish, you know, all this stuff. But if you grew up in the diaspora, probably you're you're surrounded more by English than you are by Spanish. And that part really resonated with a lot of the women in the group, you know, and even for Spanish speakers, when one woman had mentioned, she was like, you know, I, I feel the pressure. Like my my mother will be like, why don't your kids speak Spanish? And she's like, look, I, I'm trying my best here. Right. It doesn't always happen right away like that. Uh, and so I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about that because I think language is really complicated for Puerto Ricans in the diaspora, especially because of the history of colonialism. And there's a lot of shame, right? And there's a lot of silence about language. And I wanted to make sure to include that inside of the book. Yeah, I loved it because I also thought it contributed some to the sense I had that Nina was lonely. You know, she felt like she didn't quite fit in anywhere. And in fact, maybe each of the characters had a loneliness to them, maybe because of their yeah. secrets or how, you know, how the world saw them. Can you talk about loneliness as one of the themes in the book? Well, I think Nina and it's it's so interesting. Your questions are really um, 
echoing some of the ones that I was talking, I was answering last night, but that loneliness for, for Nina specifically, you know, you get a scholarship, you go to PWI, predominantly white institution, you come back, right. And your parents want you to go to school. They want you to do well. Right. And then you go back and your sister's like, ah, you think you're so much better than me. Right. But then she's at this school where she's get like, where people literally don't even look at her, talk to her, you know? And there's this real sense of that you're not fitting in in either place. And I think that that's that's a lonely that's a loneliness. And I think, you know, for each each of these women and for Ruthie as well, the loneliness of being a 13 year old girl and having these things which feel so big, but not feeling like you're understood. Right. And in each way, these women sort of uh, struggle with that. Yeah. I wanted to just go back to this question of, you know, what happened to Ruthie Ramirez? Uh, Did you set up the book that way because you wanted it to be hopeful or or like why why did you do that? I think for me, it's that sense of the question, right? You know, whenever as writers like you you learn to begin with the question almost. Right. What is this? What the story sort of spins on that? And for me, you know, that the beginning question was, what if somebody disappeared from your life and you thought you saw them on TV? What would that be? What would you do? Um, and combining those elements. And then I, I also wanted to think about, you know, of course, the 90s. I wanted to think about New York. I wanted to be, think about 2008 and Obama's elected. But then the, econ- the economy has just, you know, crashed and people are unemployed. And so I, I really was also thinking about like, okay, so if this is a mother who has come to the States to build a home for her daughters, right? And one of her daughters is taken from her. What, what is that American dream? What is this? And, and that, that question of what happened to Ruthie Ramirez, you know, becomes also a question of what has happened to these women in their lives. I love that. Okay, so I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about the uh, lead up to publication and publishing in general, because we have a lot of listeners who love to hear from new authors about the process. Could you talk about what was the hardest part about getting this book published? Oh, man, Um, I I was lucky because I mean, my agent is really great. And like it got once it was um, once the novel was done, it was acquired very quickly. It was it was acquired within a a month. But um, I think the hardest part of getting the novel published was actually the writing of it was figuring out all of the sections. I'd written a version of this novel that it's so funny because it's a short novel, but I've literally written so many more, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages that I have not been in the book. You know, you know how it is, right? Yes. I have an original version where it goes backwards in time completely, right? Like it starts with the present and then it goes backwards in time. But then the struggle there was how do you keep that momentum? And so it, I, I, I thought to myself, like, OK, so the way to, to make this work was to sort of hang it because it, it had this the complication of the rotating multiple perspectives. But if I could hang it on a sort of traditional like adventure story, right, like they go out right to go do something, then I then maybe it could 
still have that type of energy to to push the characters forward. So yeah, that's that was really, you know, the a hard part. I think another and I don't want to go too long about this, but I think a very real issue too is that, you know, Puerto Rican authors and Puerto Rican characters are are not you know, big in popular culture and books and getting people to understand that this family might look different than your family, but they're just as valid and they're just as important and they may not grieve in the same way that you grieve, but that is legitimate, right? And that's to be respected. I think that that also too was um, a challenge, yeah. Also, I wonder, was it hard? Did people push back because it's about violence against women? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think that there's this there was interesting, like feedback, like this, these women hate each other. And I was like, no, that's not. I mean, in some ways, yes, there's a critique of that. Right. Like the 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 in Catfight, for example. Right. And I, I wanted to talk about conflict between women, the reproduction of violence between women, as, as well as the violence that's enacted upon them. Right. And as you've suggested, sometimes that those those are difficult topics and they're ugly and uncomfortable topics. And sometimes people really don't want to hear about that, you know. But for me, you know, what's important is to explore what is at what is what I'm thinking about and what I'm sort of obsessed with. And so that's what the book became. So how many years did it take you to write it? Oh, 10 years. It took a long time. I, I mean, originally it was a short story. And then I went to my PhD program. And so really as a novel, it took five years. But the the idea of it was 10 years old. It was originally a short story. Wow. I love that you're sharing that because, you know, it, it is so a beautiful, polished book in the end. <laughs> but people oh, don't realize that's 10 years of work, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I just want to emphasize, right, you said that you started with this question, what happened to Ruthie Ramirez? And then you use this classic trope of let's send them on an adventure, right? Go out and find them, right? It could be any Greek myth, right? Go out and find something and come home and and how have you changed? And yet this story is so unique and so different. So I think that's just, again, a brilliant way to learn about how to write. Um, So much. so also, what kind of advice do you have for new writers or aspiring writers? Oh, I, I mean, like, don't give up. It is so hard. Writing is hard and people don't look at writing as work. And they're always like, get a real job. And it's like, yes, I am working a real job, but I also want to write, you know, like, and so it's like, I think that, you know, and, the, and <laughs> writers are the only people who get like, the rejections and they're like, but that's a nice rejection. I feel good about that rejection. They liked some of it, you know? And so just be prepared for that, you know, be prepared for rejection and just, it's okay. You can do it. That's what I would say. That was amazing that we are the only people who say, but that was a nice rejection. And like proudly too. (laughs) Right. I came really close to a yes. Yeah. I came really close to a yes. That's exactly right. Oh my God. So now that you are, um, you know, the book has been out for a little bit. I would also love to know, have you learned anything from this process? Oh man. Oh man. I should say, have you learned anything that you want to share with us? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, um, Oh man, I feel like I feel like I've I've learned that I want to play, right? Just on the page, you know, and I I think so you know, once you you've published a book, uh, you've published, you know, various books, two books, right? So you've seen like how 
sometimes when you get into the publication process, it becomes like work almost. And it, you, well, the more professionalized you get, right? It becomes like, this is my career. This is my job, right? And I think that one thing I also teach at the University of South Carolina, the MFA program. And one of the things I've been talking to them about is like just really getting back to that moment of play and joy and just, you know, just letting just just going with the character, the the simple pleasure of watching a scene work. And that's what I've I've learned from it. Like, yeah, the, you have to work, you have to make money. Yes, yes. But like, come back always to the page, come back always to the joy of writing. I love that. Claire Jimenez, thank you so much for joining me today on Check This Out. For those of you listening, her amazing debut, What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez, you should go check it out at your local library or buy a copy at your local bookstore. We are so happy to have you today. Thank you, Claire. I'm so happy to be here. It was a beautiful interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you today to our amazing producers, Megan Coleman and Jared Jenish. They work the magic behind the scenes and we would not be here without them. Thank you also to the Howe Library Corporation and the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation for their support. Today was the fourth installment of our spring literary series at the Howe Library. And we have one more author coming. May 25th, we have Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, whose He's book great. Chain Gang All-Stars is launching soon. And he will be on the show. We can't wait to have him. So join us for that on May 25th. And thank you to everyone for signing in. We will see you next time.